The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number 225. Yeah, you studied. I can I tell you studied. <laughs> well, you know, I figure most episodes I feel a little clueless because, you know, you know, I just don't know the number. It's not important because each yeah. and every guest has been so incredible. And that's why I don't really keep track is because and it's fun. What I love is that, as we say this each and every week, every guest is different. Every guest has a different story. Every guest has one of those why me moments in which we'll get to as well. But she is an author, a speaker, a teacher. Uh, Robin Dykstra, how are you? I am super well. Thank you. What a pleasure to be with you. Thank you well, for being with us. <laughs> we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> okay. I'm Robin Dykstra. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am in full-time ministry with my husband. I'm a speaker first, an author second, and a Bible teacher by uh, by design, I guess. Just have always loved the word of God. And I used to be a red hot mess, used to be a playboy bunny and a club dancer. And Jesus led me out of that life, saved me. And so now I travel all over the United States telling other women it's never too late for a fresh start. I want to go way back to the beginning because your life has been obviously full of lots of different transformations. And so when you hear of someone who used to be a playboy bunny, you think, well, A, how did they even get to that point? So growing up, was it a faith-based family? Was it not? What was your situation like? Mm, no, we were not faith-based. My mom and dad divorced when, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom and dad divorced when I was about three. And my mom was a full-time mama, a full-time um, student, and a still t- full-time um, worker. She got her PhD in, affirm- in educational administration with an emphasis on affirmative action for women. So mm. she was a get-it-done kind of girl. And um. She, she had loose rules, but she parented a lot like Jesus loves. And that is you got to a certain age of understanding and there were things that would serve you well. There were rules that you could follow and guidelines, but if you chose to take a risk or break one of those rules, she did not come up behind and clean you up. So when I announced that I was tired of higher education and was going to go take a job or at least look for a job or apply for a job as a Playboy Bunny. She said very calmly, she looked up from her Psychology Today magazine and mm-hmm. said, well, honey, I, I guess that you can always go to school. The window to be a Playboy Bunny is probably pretty small. So if that's what you'd mm-hmm. like to do, good luck. Wow. I know. I know. We had just enough money, just enough health, just enough brains, just enough good circumstances. So we never needed God. And as a result, we kind of became our own little gods, you know, sitting on our own thrones and ruling with our own baby scepters because um, we, we talked about higher powers and superior beings, maybe, but there was never any conversation about spiritual things. The only time I ever heard the name of Jesus was um, if some of my more colorful relatives would want to punctuate a sentence. Mm. It wasn't a name that was revered in our family. Yeah. So does one answer a a phone number in the classifieds or how do you go from 
that too, I'm a Playboy bunny. Yeah. So the, the process to become a bunny is not very rigorous. You, it's a cattle call, much like an audition, what I assume an audition for um, a movie or an acting job would be. And you line up with a hundred other really gorgeous women. You change into something skimpy. You stand in front of the bunny mother who's in charge of all things bunnies. And you have to remember your name without looking at any notes. That's the first question she asks you. Then you have to turn in a circle and answer, why would you make a good Playboy bunny? And I said, I'm smart. I'm pretty. I know how to make men smile. And I got the job. So the interesting thing about this interview process, though, is from the very first day, the message that they send you is you are replaceable, Hmm. you are expendable, there's a bunch of other women who will gladly step into your three-inch pumps and take your place should you not toe the line. And so from right from the beginning, it's not a, oh, you don't feel... You don't feel valued. You're 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 just um, an, another piece of the chattel. There is a, 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 a there was an amazing sorority among the women who worked there. Um, the hours were grueling. The challenges were many, but the 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 corporation itself didn't make me feel like I was anything special. But the women that I worked with each had their own stories and really connected with each other. Was this in Vegas? Was this in California? Where were you? I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and it was a 1400 acre property with five restaurants, two golf courses, a Mm. a landing strip, stables, a ski hill. I mean, it was, it, it was really beautiful. Hmm. Yes. So life there was good, bad. It just really sounds like they set you up for um, just not valuing yourself. Well, I, the whole time I was there, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that this ne- then, but I can now. I was trying to feel as good on the inside as I looked on the outside. And mm. I just didn't know how to do that. And I tried all the stuff I, you know, all the stuff that goes with a job like that, the drugs, the men, the alcohol, the promiscuity, the, you know, being in the magazine. I mean, I just could not figure out how to feel complete. And um, I didn't know I needed Jesus, but he was going to reveal himself in his time. But I can look back now and see how he protected me, how he provided. I mean, there were so many times I should have not escape unscathed should maybe not died, but yeah, maybe close. And there were so many times that I can see his hand on my life. Just, you know, how he prepares the way sort of like, you know, John the Baptist prepares the way. I just, there were so many circumstances where his Holy spirit prepared the way for me to be ready to say yes to him. When the time came, you were a bunny for how long? Yeah. Well, I was only going to go for the summer. Let's just be clear. I was only going to go for the summer and then reluctantly go back to college. But um, gosh, I was really good at being walking pornography. And um, so the, between the money and the power, I mean, it could get just about anything you wanted. 
uh, I stayed for four years. Hmm. In that time, we've, we've talked to people in uh, the porn industry. We've talked to people in sex trades and we've heard sure. this many times. I was going to get out, but then I got back in. I was going to leave, but then mm -hmm. how many times did you tell yourself, that's it, I'm done? I think just the one time when I left. I, I chose this, and for me, it was a really good fit. I was promiscuous before I went to be, before I worked for Playboy, and being able to say I was a bunny and being able to leverage that um, that particular title gave me a lot of uh, advantages that um, served me really well. I was really selfish and really insecure. And so having this mask, this costume that I really could hide behind gave me, um, gave me some power that uh, it, it gave me enhanced power that I took with me. It, it was a good fit for me. And it wasn't until I, uh, I, I got involved with a fella who was very dangerous. He did not work for Playboy, but he was very dangerous. And his job was to settle things and get people to say yes to things that they didn't want to say yes to, or, you know, break up arguments. And he didn't want to let me go. So he, mm. we got married and my smart mouth ran into his short temper and it got really ugly. Um, I would, I won't go into details about abuse, but, but the, I had to leave, I had to run. Um, so I, the, the, the only time I thought about leaving Playboy was when I thought I was going to die. Hmm. Yeah. That's a scary place to be. It is. But unless you know what better is, it, you just become, I just became so culturally indoctrin indoctrinated to the expectations and the advantages that it, I just, and, and once you get into it, you think, eh, you know, it's not that bad. Uh, how, right. We do this as Christians. We contend through a big battle. We win a war against disease or enemy attack or adversity of some sort. And then we kind of coast. We kind of settle into mm -hmm. this quiet complacency, this gradual descent, and we coast on last year's last last time's battles. We don't we don't stay fit. Um, so it, the the standard operating procedure was similar. And now I guard against that complacency and call it contentment. Don't we all? You know, we think, oh, yeah, we just say yeah, good enough. How, how much more could there be? How bad is this? I'm, it's yeah. a, it's too hard to fight for more. So you're going through this through four years. You have this control, you have this power. What made you make the change and decide, you know, playboy bunny, not for me anymore. Hey, who's this Jesus guy? When I left, I, I actually, I really was in danger. I had to leave. So I ran, I went back to my mom's house and, uh, I started back to school. And I started dating a Christian man and he was not like any of the other cavemen I had dated before. He looked me in the eyes when we talked instead of 
you know, other parts of my anatomy. And he listened to things that I said, and he opened the doors for me, and he brought me flowers, and he wore, he spoke in whole sentences, and he, (laughs) I mean, who is this person? And I, he started taking me to church, and I didn't know how to church. There's a, there's a whole protocol around every environment and every job and church and whatever. And I didn't know how to church. So even though I'm a front row person, I had to sit like seven, eight, 10 rows back because I had to watch the chick in front of me. And if she stood up, I stood up. And if she sat down, I sat down and she waved her hand. I, I watched her because I thought I, I wasn't quite ready to do the whole praise in Jesus yet. But one Christmas, we went to a program and there was such a moving um, presentation of the gospel that I, I experienced a Holy Spirit manifestation that I didn't know. I mean, the thumping heart, the trembling hands, the leaking eyes, the churning stomach, the whole thing. And I thought I was having a medical episode, but when the, the pastor came up and he explained the gospel and he's like, if anyone wants to say yes to Jesus tonight, you, he actually said, if there's a body in this room tonight, who doesn't know Jesus as their savior tonight's the night. And so I said yes to Jesus as savior. It was a long time before I surrendered to him as Lord, but I, I got my first step. I got my, my foot in the door and I, I started the process of becoming more like him. It was a hard walk. I didn't, I didn't have anybody to disciple me. The fellow that I was with and actually ended up marrying was just so happy that I had been saved that he, you know, naturally thought I would, I would just morph into this good Christian woman, but I didn't, I didn't even know what that looked like. So I, I didn't have, um, I didn't have anybody to guide me. And it wasn't really until we had a baby six and a half years later that I had another encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it was just the most magical thing. I was rocking my baby uh, in the middle of the night. It was, it was this, this moment, you know, dimly lit moonlight through the window, baby. You remember what it's like? Baby falling asleep on your shoulder, just all you know, trusting and sniffy and, and hot. And, and, and it was, I just thought, how did I get here? How does a woman like me with my past end up in this nice house with this husband who loves me and this beautiful child and the Holy spirit came thundering into my heart. My, I, I can't say it was audible, but it was so clear. There was nothing else. I heard nothing else. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I say that the Holy Spirit traipses across the backyard of my brain with a thought, but this was thunder. This was, there was nothing else. All I heard was Robin. What are you going to tell that child about me? And I just froze because I didn't have any answers. And I, and the voice was so gentle and tender. He was like, God just wanted to woo me to learn more about him. And the easiest way to get me to do that would be for this child. So I called the church the next day. I signed up for a Bible study. 
And I started going to church and I started figuring out how to read the Bible. They assigned me to a little small group of ladies who took me on like a project, really made me, (laughs) never made me feel like one, but I mean, I was so far outside of their scope and yeah, I, you know, I, I, I still smoked. I still drank. I, yeah, all the stuff. And they were like, oh, what do we do with her? But they never said that to my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like when I walked in the first time, like, oh, just so sweet. But God bless them. Their crown in heaven must have a huge jewel with my name on it because they, taught me that I was loved and that I was forgiven and that God would be with me and that he was trustworthy and all the promises of God that you need to make your life work. And that's how I started getting discipled. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it would appear from this point on, everything's now roses and and rainbows, but I don't think that was the case, right? It's not. You know, as well as I do, that just because you're following Jesus as closely as you can, that it doesn't, it doesn't exclude you from hard things happening. We see Mm -hmm. that throughout the Bible. And what happened to me was that my husband died and Mm -hmm. I, he was 39. So it wasn't like he was some old, he wasn't old. He wasn't done. We had two kids who were seven and four. They weren't done. They weren't old enough. And even that day, the Holy Spirit came in, in, in this sweet, like peace that fell on me, but still we all have these moments, you know, you get a diagnosis that you don't want or a prodigal that says something awful to you or drugs or run away from home or, you know, or a car accident or a, a husband that loses his mind. We all have these moments in our life and we wonder if God is paying any attention. Like I am following you with everything I've got. Why in the world would this happen to me? Isn't that the question that we have? And so I guess the answer for that is not formulaic. It's, it's a mystery, but sometimes it can make sense. Sometimes someone else's free will just falls on you in a really ugly way. Sometimes God allows things, um, just because we're facing resistance doesn't mean that God isn't with us. If that were true, there would only have had been one plague and Pharaoh would have said, go have my blessing, Moses, (laughs) right? And, And David would never have had to hide in a cave and And the walls of Jericho would have come tumbling down on the first lap. And, you know, we see this, that God doesn't, sometimes we go through things just so that we can go, wow, you are miraculously incredible, amazingly extravagant with your love to us. Sometimes it's just, you know, to glorify him. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when we ask why, I wonder if we really care why. I think when we ask why, we really just want the lost to be found. We want the broken to be fixed. We want what was taken from us to be returned. We want to wind back time and not have that moment happen to us. But it's not legitimate. It doesn't seem faithful to say, I hate this. 
but I think God's big enough to say, I, I can, re- I, I think God's big enough for us to say, I hate this and I trust you. I think we can hold both of those things to say, I, I really would not have chosen this. I do not like this, but you have never failed me. And I know that you will be with me through this. Is it first, second, first Corinthians 10, 13, that says no trial has seized you or no temptation has seized you except which is common to man. And, and God is faithful. He will always find a way through it or around the situation. It's loose, but uh, it says, it says that, that God will either sustain you under the pressure of the thing that you're going through or that he will find a way through it. And we have to, we don't like that process. We just want escape. But if we, if God never gave us anything that we couldn't handle, we would discard him pretty quickly. And so I think sometimes we have these moments just to be, to be in his presence in a way that is so intimate that uh, we get a really clear picture of how much he loves us. And I, I think unless you've gone through one of those <laughs> moments, it, it's, it, seems, it seems foolishness. But that was my experience, that God was so faithful and I did not like it, but I could trust him. And he prov- I called them lousy trade-offs. I didn't have my husband, but I didn't have an appetite. So I lost those 25 pounds of baby fat, just like that. You know, so I am rocking it, but I got nobody who goes, girl, you looking good. You know, there were these lousy trade-offs that God would give me everything from the bed being easy to make to um, like, I never have to make anything Polish with the bacon and the fat and all that stuff. I never have to cook that again because but then my, I got an empty chair at my table. So these lousy trade-offs is what I call them, but they, they are the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings to you, even in the midst of these situations, I think. When I am in a moment where I just, big things, little things, you know, the cat has a hairball and it's on new carpet or your husband dies and all the, the whole, whole spectrum between those things, I, I, just, I just look at that and I go, okay, I don't like this, but I, I actually say out loud all the characteristics of God that I know to be true. Mm-hmm. I, I, if I can't remember any, I go to the Psalms and I just, you are faithful. You are kind. You are able. You are awesome. You are benevolent. You are, you are faithful. I mean, I just, everything I can think of, I recount out loud to, to my ears so that my brain can hear it. And to any non-heavenly spiritual realm that is is trying to take land that doesn't belong to them. I am going to say, this is who God is. And then I'm going to stand firm in that truth for a moment. And when I do that, it helps me reset to face the future with more hope and more confidence that what God did in the past for me, for people in the Bible, for people that I know, all the 224 stories that you've heard before mine, that he would be faithful for me going forward. And I don't know if that'll serve you or your listeners, but it has really served me to stand firm in who God is 
so that I can go forward, even in those, why is this happening? I hate this, but I'm choosing to trust you kind of moments. What I find incredible is you are so full of passion. You've been through so much that seeing, you know, you, Robin of 2021, you're probably a 180 from Robin of, you know, a few years ago. (laughs) What would you say to that, Robin? (laughs) Um, Well, it is nice to be on this side of it, but I know that God doesn't waste anything either. The thing that, that if you think of the thing, the, the things that, that's, are so hard. If you think of those as giants, if you cut off that giant's head, it's dumb twin is going to come after somebody that, you know, maybe somebody that you love. And my story of victory over that giant is going to help somebody else face hers. So to answer your question, what I would tell that Robin is just stand firm, just walk, just do the next thing they just do the next right thing. In the absence of a new plan, we always stick with the last thing that the Lord told us to do. And when my husband died, what he told me to do was raise my kids, teach the Bible and go to work, raise my kids, teach the Bible, go to work. And until I get a new directive from him, I'm going to keep doing those things uh, because otherwise I'm trying to function in my own power, trying to figure it out on my own. And I have tried that. And that is not a good way. Raise my kids, teach the Bible, go to work. Um, your husband, 39, when uh, he had passed away, how did he pass? He had a heart attack and they mm. called it a widow maker. And he, one morning he, I woke up and he didn't just like that. He was gone in an instant, just an instant. I did not see it coming. There was no warning. It was just <sighs> 39. I know. Yeah. So seems pretty young. It does. You wake up in this situation. You go from married two kids to now single again, two kids. What does single momhood look like? Oh, it stinks. As a matter of fact, um, I wasn't really even the good parent, you know? And Mm. so I did, this was one of the things I asked God, why? And I said, why would you, why would you, you know, how really ordinary I am at parenting. Why, why would you leave me in this position to be single? And what I heard was, do you not think I can equip you to be a good mom? I was like, Ooh, snap, you know? Yeah. You're not big enough to do that. God, that's just too, I mean, you raise, you raise Jesus from the dead, but to make me a good mom. No, that's too much to ask. It was just, so immediate and it wasn't it wasn't snarky I probably made it snarky but it was really do you not know do you not believe that I can make you a good mom do you do you not do you not know that I can equip you with everything that you need okay sorry you know and that's another thing about asking why sometimes we just want to whine hmm. you know we just we just want to wallow in the mess and it's okay to be miserable for a while. It way is, but there comes a time when you gotta, you gotta, you gotta say, I'm going to re-enter the living. I'm going to re-enter my life. Um, actually just, uh, had just a chance meeting with an old friend. He had had COVID and he said, I thought I was gonna, I just, I just felt so crummy. I just, Oh man, all I did was, and finally, 
I just decided I'm going to get up and I'm going to eat something, even though I don't feel like it. And I'm going to go sit outside in the sun. This was last summer. And he said, it wasn't immediate, but I felt a lot better just Mm. taking an action. Again, what's the next thing that you should be doing? What's the next right thing for you? So anyway, I started reading books and wandering around with ladies who had kids about five years older than mine, like taking notes. What do you do when they do this? What do you do when they do that? Oh, and of course, you're hungry. Yeah, and you're sure that you're going to mess everything up and that, you know what, you can make a lot of mistakes if your kid knows you love them and um, say you're sorry for the dumb things that you can got to cover a lot of weakness. You were in a, an abusive relationship in the past. You then have this uh, great marriage with your husband. He then passes away at the age of 39. Did you yeah. then decide that said marriage? I'm done with marriage. I'm just going to be single mom for the rest of my life. I had four women friends. I call them my pillars. I think everybody should have at least one pillar. And I could call any one of those four women at two in the morning and then and say, my life really stinks right now. And I just, I just hate it. And they would, they would come, you know, Mm. sit with me shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, and just be with me. And they prayed the gap between heaven and earth to close for me during that first year, they just dragged heaven right down to earth for me. And I, I, after a year, I started feeling really good And like, I could make it and I was, the kids were doing all right. And I was doing all right. And and I can remember journaling one day in my Bible, I said, or in my Bible journal, you know, and I said, you know, Lord, I worked really hard to learn how to be a good wife. Don't you think it's an awful waste of raw talent to leave me single? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay. Well, he must have thought so, or that I need supervision. I don't know, but I did get married again. And he came with an airplane, a motorcycle and a passport. And so, and he, he was so fun. He was just one of those life of the party kind of fellas. And so he said to me, Babelicious, because that's what he called me. Babelicious, it's absolutely ridiculous for you to own a vehicle you don't know how to operate. So first, you're going to get your pilot's license, then your motorcycle endorsement, and then we're going to start putting stamps in that passport. So I have a private pilot's license. Hmm. We bought me a motorcycle that matched my nail polish, and then we started putting (laughs) stamps in the passport, and it really felt like God had given me back everything that had been taken from me. And we were married about two years And he took a routine flight from Michigan to Pennsylvania to pick up a friend. And somewhere along that flight, something went wrong. And the plane went down. We didn't know where. We searched for weeks. The Civil Air Patrol, the Coast Guard, the State Police, NASA, the FAA. I mean, there were so many people searching. And after weeks, the crash site was found and he had not survived. He had Mm. been killed on impact. And I, again, had the opportunity to be in a position where, God, I don't, I don't get this. Why would I have to burying two husbands in four years? Are you serious? Those kinds of odds will win you the lottery. You know, what, what, what is going on here? He said, Robin, you can trust me. 
And I thought, I don't like this, but okay, this is, again, you stand firm. God, you are faithful. You are all powerful. You are all knowing. You don't make mistakes. You don't lie. You love me. You've been faithful in the Bible. I'm looking, I'm looking. And what I found that time was so many stories about people who followed God's directives without asking why, without Mm -hmm. even understanding why. For example, if when he says, Aaron or Abraham, pick up your stuff and just keep walking until I tell you that you're there. There's (laughs) stuff that we're not going to understand he, he, he does all these miraculous signs. He brings the Hebrews out of Egypt. He brings the Israelites out of Egypt. He, they cross the Red Sea. They wander around the desert. They manna from heaven. Then Moses died. The mantles passed. Joshua crosses the Jordan River on dry land in the raging storm season or the raging flood season. First obstacle is Jericho. Do you think that the best plan would be to march around that city 13 times and then the walls would come down. I'm, I'm thinking, God, isn't there something more, you know, flashy that you could do? Seven days, 13 laps, 10 plagues. I mean, God calls us to trust him for a reason. Mm. And sometimes we don't know. But sometimes we can see glimpses of what he has in mind for us if we trust him beyond our own understanding. And that's what I had to do when Craig died in that plane crash. I had to trust him behind, beyond my own understanding. But I was done being married after that. I mean, people were taking me off their speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> You bury two husbands in four years. The line to date you, short, very short. So I just, I just, you know, back to raise your kids, go to work, teach the Bible, raise your kids, teach the Bible, go to work. That's what I was doing. But I believe strongly that you're supposed to be in a discipleship system somewhere. You're supposed to be following somebody who's smarter, older, wiser than you. And you're supposed to be saying, come with me and I'll teach you what I know, right? And you don't have to know much to teach somebody who knows nothing. So there's no reason why every follower of Jesus Christ can't be in a, in a discipleship plan. So I was teaching the Bible, but I was also going to a, a Bible study for motorcyclists. And there was this guy in there and he kept, every time he opened his Bible, it was something about widows and orphans, widows and fatherless. And so he thought, oh, I'm supposed to go ask Robin if she needs any help because she's now a widow and her kids are fatherless, but he didn't like me. He thought I talked too much and that I was bossy. I do have the gift of bossy, but anyway, so he, so he comes and he comes after class and he says, look, I really feel like the Lord wants me to offer my assistance. I come from a long line of carpenters and really strong. If there's anything that you need help with around your house, I, I, I will help you. And I, I saw the golden ticket right mm. there. And I said, do you babysit? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> like, this is great. And he said, well, don't teenage girls do that? And I said, well, yeah, but everybody tells you, because my kids were nine and nine and 12 by that time. And they were coming into manly things. And 
And everybody says they need a strong masculine influence. And this guy, Dave, he was always wearing camo and he talked about hunting and fishing and camping. Uh -huh. And I thought you would be so good for my kids. So he's like, okay, whatever. So he starts spending time with the kids and they love him. And the mm. little one, after he leaves one night, he says, mom, I just love Mr. Dave. Could we keep him for a pet? And I said, <laughs> and I said, no, baby, we can't keep him for a pet, but I do have something else in mind. Anyway, Dave and I got married. Uh, we've been married 20 years. We're in full-time nice. ministry now. We travel all over the United States, teaching the Bible and telling people about Jesus. We do maybe 40 events a year. It is our sweet spot to be on the road. Kids are grown, gone, healthy, surrendered to Jesus. I mean, we are in a nice season right now where all things are going pretty well. You know, not, not counting a global pandemic that puts you out of work. But again, when we get to moments where you have to ask why, you stand firm in what you know, you tell yourself and anything that's listening who God is. And then you stand in that for a little bit. And it'll help you walk into a future with confidence that God will always be with you and for you. I love that. So you, you turned them. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I, I was like Novocaine. I just kept hammering it away. I don't know. Oh, what a beautiful story, though, of redemption and, and God reclaiming Truly. that area of, of your own life and doing ministry with your husband for two decades and now yeah. writing a book, The Widow Wore Pink. So I want to talk about yes. this. Okay. So yeah, uh, when did you start writing it? Like a thousand years ago. Perfect. It, it was The just best books a, are. It was such a hard book to write because when mm. you talk on the stage about being foolish or not using good discernment it's gone. It's just a, a blip. I don't dwell on the life that I lived or the mistakes that I made. But when you write a book, you've got to say how you were stupid, who you were stupid with and how long you were stupid with them. Hmm. And it just, it was so hard and so painful to see how I had betrayed the Lord and how I had disregarded his best for me and how I had tried to do things in my own strength and power. And, and, um, but what I did was I threaded the gospel of Jesus through the whole story uh, from Playboy Bunny to Bible teacher and the faithfulness of God, even when I was widowed, because you don't have to be an ex-Playboy Bunny to have a season in your life. You go, you know, that wasn't smart, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be a two-time widow to have a season of your life where you just wonder if God still has his eye on you, if he's still paying attention to you. And so I wrote that book to reaffirm that God is for you and is with you and always extends a fresh start when you need one. And it, uh, it, it reads like a novel. Truth is stranger than fiction. And I, 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 I can't tell you how many people write and say, thank you. I, I, uh, I've rededicated my life or I said yes to Jesus. And so it's been a great evangelism tool for us. For you writing it, was it therapeutic or was it more a way of just helping other people more on that um, evangelistic yeah. side over the therapeutic side? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, Holly. I got to say it's a little bit of both. I I thought I had dealt with all the stuff, but Mm -hmm. I was having dreams about dead husbands and I, it it was, it was tough, but I can, uh, I was able to see God's hand more clearly retelling the story than I could, than I did obviously going through the story, but it it, um, I was really purposeful in making sure that Jesus is the center of this story, not me. I tell his story through my story. And why do you wear pink? Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot to get the book to figure yeah, that one yeah. out. <laughs> when, I, when I buried the pilot, I knew what was coming. I knew the loneliness. I, I knew I was going to stand in front of hundreds of people and comfort them because they weren't going to understand why this happened any more than I did. I was going to be the object of everybody's sympathy and also their judgment about the way that I would choose to raise my kids or dress or change my house. I mean, I knew all the stuff that was coming and I couldn't do it in black. I just couldn't do it in black. So I wore a pink dress. I shopped actually for a pink room to have the funeral in. And then I wore a pink dress because it just lifted my spirits enough. And it set the tone for people uh, coming through the receiving line to say, oh, she's she's not in black. It just Mm -hmm. sent a subliminal message. I think that this is going to be okay. I don't know how, but it's going to be okay. I think we got churched a bit today. Loved uh, it. Widow War Pink, which is uh, available. Uh, would love for you guys to uh, be able to pick it up. And uh, robindykstra.com, D-Y-K-S-T-R-A. Robin, we appreciate you taking some time and yeah. uh, sharing your heart today. Yeah. Hey, there's a free devotional that I write every week on that website. And if people like the stories that we shared, they can get one every week on the robindykstra.com backslash blog page um be happy to serve your your listeners that way thank you so much great thank you my pleasure thank you i think the story alone of her working with playboy was one thing but then Mm -hmm. to uh, be married and then lose your first husband and then all the relationships she dealt with beforehand and then her second husband she has robin has more stories in her lifetime than i mean i i can come up with maybe one or two for me I know her life is literally two separate books in one, if not more. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible to see where she started to where she is today. Her passion, her love for Jesus, is contagious. I love the raise my kids, teach the Bible, go to work. Raise mm-hmm. my kids, teach the Bible, go to work. So thank you again to uh, Robin for taking some time hanging out with us, and thank you to you for listening, downloading Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There are uh, so many places where you get your podcast. You could reach out to us on all the socials too. Yeah, exactly. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also go to faithstrongtoday.com for more. 